Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us to start out the week. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis. We're brought to you today by Gabby. What else could we possibly want? Uh, Jim, maybe a competitive Super Bowl would have been nice. Um, the game was very anticlimactic. The ads, other than the Toyota one, which was very good about the, the Paralympian swimmer and the adoption, uh, her story was, was excellent. But um, with Tom Brady now, Jim, I have a dilemma. You know, Tom Brady was always kind of like Darth Vader to me. He was always someone I cheered against. But since he went to Michigan, there was always this glimmer that there was still some good there. But the media is almost forcing me into liking this guy. First of all, you have to respect what he's pulled off in Tampa after after bailing on the Patriots. Secondly, the two big stories I saw from the media this week prior to the actual game were one, a column in USA Today talking about how Brady is uh, abusing his white privilege by not speaking out on virtually every political issue under the sun. And then when he came to the game yesterday, he wasn't wearing a mask. Well, the social media uh, people went nuts and said they were feeling physically ill about how he was uh, treating himself as being special. If the media is going to do this to him, Jim, it's so annoying, I almost feel sorry for him. Did Mahomes wear a mask on his way in? I don't know. Nobody even paid like, attention. You know, if, 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 how, how normal is that for these guys? I don't know if they're within a certain le- uh, distance of each other. They clearly are spending a lot of time together. For all extents and purposes, I figure football players are a pod. They, they are part of a household. They are going to be, if you're putting your hands in between a guy's legs to take the snap, my guess is you're less than six feet of distance between them. Maybe in a really good shotgun uh, lineup like that. But otherwise. So, like, I... I I figure he's whatever his teammates have. There's a good. They're all on the bus together. They're traveling together. I don't know if he's going to be able to keep them all properly socially distanced and all that. I got to admit, Greg, that now that he's not in the blue uniform of the Patriots, um, I find him a lot easier to take. I find him a lot easier to admire. And uh, I think we can now completely agree that it was a Tom Brady dynasty all those years, and that everybody else was just along for the ride. The Patriots' entire dynasty is now rescinded because it's entirely a uh, a Brady one. I'm somewhat tongue in cheek as I say that, but I also got to observe, like Greg, your team, my team. You know, 29 other teams are doing everything they can. They go over the draft. They, they're, you know, they put enormous brain power into this. They're, and all Tampa Bay had to do in the last pre, pre, you know, offseason, after going 7-9 and nine with, with Winston throwing 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions, which will make the greatest ESPN 30-for-30 30 30 episode ever, <laughs> uh, they, they went in, they got Brady, they got Gronk. Halfway through the season, they added uh, Antonio Brown. And in the latter half of the season, they added Leonard Fournette. This is like the old, either the you know, Yankee mercenaries going through free agency and collecting all the all-stars. Or you could say kind of like those NBA teams where three players get together. This is kind of a mercenary team. And they just went through the rest of the league in the playoffs like a hot knife through butter. Yeah, everything old is new again. And Jim, I, I hope that uh, your your taunting uh, proves itself out. I fear what's actually going to happen, given the way 2020 and 2021 is rolling out, that we're going to end up with a Bucks patriots Super Bowl next year, which is really going to be annoying if it happens. I could root for Brady with, with wholeheartedly, right? <laughs> At that point, that's, that's very clear. So. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about our actual good martini here, and that is that uh, we finally have a winner in the last outstanding 
house race from 2020. Yeah, I know, it's February. And in New York, they had a lot of problems counting votes in a lot of congressional districts, but they finally got done. And I believe in all the razor-tight ones, the Republicans ended up winning. Uh, and the latest is in the 22nd district, and that is Claudia Tenney, a former uh, congresswoman, uh, edging out Anthony Brindisi uh, by 109 votes, according to the latest tally. Uh, New York judge ruling on Friday that uh, Tenney is the winner, and uh, Tenney could be sworn in in the next couple of days. But Brindisi is challenging the rulings here, Jim. See if this uh, sounds familiar to you. According to his attorneys, in this case, there is reason to believe that voting tabulation machines misread hundreds, if not thousands, of valid votes as undervotes, and that these tabulation machine errors disproportionately affected Brindisi. Jim, I haven't followed every twist and turn in this race. I would imagine that in three months they've had a chance to go over this fairly thoroughly, but... uh, Hey, what do I know? But it's just fun to watch the Democrats kind of twist in the wind here when they lose a close one. Uh, They wanted everybody to play nice when they win the close ones. Not so much the other way. Welcome back, Claudia Tenney. Well, the first thought, Greg, is I am shaking. (laughs) I am beside myself at this attack on democracy. How dare the Democratic candidate challenge these voting machines? Smartmatic lawyers, go get them. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's okay to challenge to say the voting machines didn't work in this case. Oh, never mind. Never mind. It's okay if a Democrat does it. Um, I wrote about this last week. The fact, look, we're used to, you know, if certain places having a, a tabulation error or disputed ballots and, and, you know, provisional ballots, all that's fine. Every other district managed to do it like within a week or two, right? The idea that one congressional district could get into February and not have representation. Members of the House get sworn in on January 3rd because of these kinds of endless lawsuits and controversies and claims and counterclaims is an absolute indictment of this district. It is an indictment of New York State because apparently got litigated through their system and took forever. Look, you know, if you here's what the president did over the last couple of months, undermining faith in democracy was bad. But you know what? This is not worlds apart from that, right? This is not, you know, when Democrats run around and say, oh, the voting machines didn't work and my votes weren't counted and all these things, and then they file a bazillion lawsuits, that's not worlds apart. And we can't say that it's okay from one party for not for another. Um, that said, it appears this has been shaken out the way it should be. The, uh, the representation for this district has been ludicrously and unfairly delayed, but thankfully not denied. Welcome to Congress. Uh, Congresswoman Tenney, or you say, right, welcome back. Um, now, this this resolves this issue, the uh, fear that the House would refuse to uh, seat uh, uh, Marionette Miller-Meeks uh, did not come to pass or has not come to pass so far. Rita Hart is still filing a petition, and I guess it's still theoretically something the House could do someday. Uh, there are two open seats in Louisiana um, so it's going to take a while before we still get to 435 seats. But once everybody gets filled, it should be a five-seat difference between Democrats and Republicans heading into the 2022 midterms, which, if you're a Republican, is not a bad spot to be in. No, that's exactly right. And you mentioned uh, a couple of the outstanding seats. I believe if Marsha Fudge is uh, confirmed to the Biden cabinet, there'll be an open seat in Ohio, obviously. Uh, but in uh, Louisiana, Cedric Richmond left the House to join the Biden administration. Uh, Congressman-elect Luke Letlow won the runoff and then passed away uh, from COVID. Uh, and I believe he had a heart attack during surgery and, and a whole sorts of 
health problems down there. He passed away in December. And then I believe just last night, uh, Congressman Ron Wright, a Republican from the 6th District in Texas, passed away, been battling cancer for a long time and then contracted COVID and was unable to fight that off. So we've got... uh, uh, heavy hearts in, in some of these districts and uh, and races that have to form now in, in order to figure out who will fill these seats. So there's still some mysteries about who's going to win these seats. But uh, as far as I can tell, with those three particular vacancies and probably the fudge seat as well, those wouldn't exactly be considered competitive. Uh, Republicans will probably win the let low seat and the right seat. Democrats will win the, the fudge seat, assuming it opens up, as well as the Cedric Richmond seat. All right, let's talk about some happier news here, and that is that uh, Gabby is our sponsor today. Look, you might get a little COVID relief from Joe Biden. You might not. Who knows? They're still hashing it out, trying to figure out whether they're going to try to ram this through all as as Democrats or whether they might want to get a little bit of bipartisan buy-in. But everybody wants to save some money, and Gabby can help you do that. Let me ask you this. How would you like to keep an extra $961 a year in your pocket? Because that's how much Gabby customers save every year on average on car and home insurance. And that's what you could find if you do your insurance shopping through Gabby. You know, this is the time of year where a lot of folks go shopping for insurance. And Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples-to-apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers. We're talking about companies like Progressive and Nationwide and Travelers. You just link your current insurance account and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage that you currently have. Now, like Greg mentioned earlier, Gabby customers save $961 per year on average. I'll bet that would be nice to have in your pocket every year. And if they can't find your savings, they'll let you know so that you can relax knowing you have the best rate that is out there. And they will never sell your information, so you'll never have to deal with annoying spam or robocalls. As Jim said, you just link to your current insurance policy. It'll show you comparable rates from other companies. You see how much you save, and then it's up to you to decide what to do. Look, you're probably overpaying on car and home insurance, so why not see how much Gabby can save you? It's totally free to check, and there's no obligation. Couldn't be simpler. Go to Gabby.com slash martini. That's Gabby.com slash martini. Gabby.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's talk about our bad martini now. And this takes us over to the People's Republic of Communist China and courtesy of the Free Beacon. The Chinese Communist Party is stealing U.S. citizens' DNA and healthcare data, according to a new Director of National Intelligence report. The report, which comes from the director's counterintelligence and security center, says China illegally exploits data from American medical records to obtain DNA identification patterns, also known as PII, for much of the U.S. population. China can use this information to target Americans, according to the report. Quote, the combination of stolen PII, at least I assume that's what that is how you say that, personal health information and large genomic data sets collected from abroad, affords the People's Republic of China vast opportunities to precisely target individuals in foreign governments, private industries, or other sectors for potential surveillance, manipulation, or extortion. Such data sets could help the PRC not only recruit individuals abroad, but also act against foreign dissidents. And of course, China is the perpetrator of the big OPM hack, and that's where they got a lot of the the data back several years ago during the Obama administration. So, uh, Jim, I mean, this is uh, scary stuff, but with how fast technology is advancing and how uh, cyber crime is advancing, uh, the stuff that was once of science fiction is not that implausible anymore. 
It is not. And if you, if you know, if listeners at this point are like, "Hey, this is the sort of thing that Jim wrote about in his novel <laughs> Hunting for Horsemen," yes. I wonder if he's going to talk about this. As those old IBM commercials used to say, "You made the right call." <laughs> um, in part, basically, from you know, to, to to write this novel, I did a ton of research and a huge right in the '60s. I have the book in front of me. Uh, the, I basically did an extensive research about what we know about the Chinese biological weapons program. They've never admitted having one. Well, let's face it, they have one. They say they gave it up. There's some evidence that they don't. Biological weapons research is much easier to do dual, what they call dual use research, because we have a lot of good reasons why we would want to know uh, how a virus would uh, uh, infect someone and make someone sick. You can do a lot of research on these sorts of things. You, you might even have an entire institute of virology and say, Wuhan doing that sort of research. Um, now, what is really unnerving about this is there was a really good article about this in the Atlantic. A couple other think tanks have done these sorts have done studies on this. Uh, when the president of the United States, for the last, you know, certainly since at least the Obama years, uh, uses a glass, the Secret Service collects that glass. Secret, if the president uses silverware, if the president does anything that leaves DNA, the Secret Service attempts to collect it and you know, make sure it is thoroughly washed so that nobody out there can get a sample of the president's DNA. You might be asking, well, why is that? Well, the answer is, you, if you know somebody's DNA, one, you can look at them to figure out what they are particularly vulnerable to. Um, and oh, by the way, we have remarkable genetic diversity uh, amongst us. And across the course of this, probably the two most extraordinary examples I came across is one uh, test of DNA uh, samples against anthrax. There were three samples for somebody of European origin where it required killing off the cells required a lot more anthrax, like hundreds of times than it did for everybody else. So there is some group out there that is either genetically immune to anthrax or genetically just much, much less susceptible to it. Uh, another fascinating example was in the uh, border area between India and Tibet. There was a small isolated ethnic group. It was considered a, a very swampy land, a lot of mosquitoes and malaria. Uh, was a major threat in this area. Uh, but there was this native group that was effectively immune to malaria, or at least it took much more uh, of a severe infection for them to have effects. Um, by the way, eliminating malaria then made this area acceptable for other groups to move into, and they started getting forced off their land. Uh, but so you know, there's, there's such gen fascinating genetic diversity that some people are going to be much more uh, immune to certain pathogens, bacteria and, and viruses and such, and certain people are going to be much more vulnerable to pathogens and, and uh, to pathogens like bacteria and viruses and stuff. My suspicion is, years from now, when we've completed an extensive amount of research on SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, we're going to find out that this disparate reactions people are having, that some people in, in nursing homes can get it and pull through just fine. Some people who are much younger, but who have one or two comorbidities are killing over because of this. I suspect is going to be a genetic factor. Anyway, the point is, is that if China has all of this information, this means they can figure out what, you know, uh, what kind of weapons would be particularly dangerous to us. Now, the good news is the United States, as I described in this book, we are the, the 64 uh, uh, crayon Crayola box of genetics. We are a very diverse country. And in this particular situation, if not all of them, Diversity is strength, right? Uh, Star Trek they used to say infinite diversity and infinite combinations. It would be very, very difficult, uh, pretty much impossible to engineer a biological weapon that would kill all Americans. That's the good news. 
the bad news is you or once you started killing all Americans, it would just kill all human beings because we have such a diverse group. You would not be able to target one particular uh, ethnic or, or, you know, targeting one particular ethnic group could be done. And that's why the villains in my book are generally the ones that have been involved in ethnic cleansing and, and you know, uh, efforts like that. But the first place you start is by knowing what the genes of your targeted population are. I don't know that this is necessarily what China is, you know, like they're never going to come out and say, yes, we're working on a biological weapon to wipe you guys out. But that having been said, this, you know, having this knowledge enables them to do that. And uh, it is deeply unnerving and... Um, you know, I hope you read the book, but I'd much rather I'd much rather keep my book remain in the realm of fiction than get a little too real. And this is particularly unnerving. Uh, you know, you 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 make up stuff in your head to to you know to be really free, freaky and frightening, and then a few months later, it turns out to be you know unnervingly plausible and real. Yeah, that's got to be a little scary. Uh, but whether it's uh, riveting drama that's fairly plausible or whether it's a preview, you should still read uh, Hunting for Horsemen by Jim Garrity. It's a really good read. And if you haven't read uh, Between Two Scorpions, you need to do that, too. Uh, that'll help you uh, catch up and, and be all set for the next book. Big tech is censoring conservative speech and Democrats will be controlling the White House and Congress. Hi, I'm Sarah Carter. Join me on The Sarah Carter Show and we will dig deep into the big issues together. Look, as an investigative reporter, I'll ask the questions no one else is asking. Share personal stories covering wars, the border, and the D.C. swamp, and bring on guests who know what's really going on. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about our crazy martini now and Ilhan Omar. Good work done here, also by the Free Beacon, uh, digging into how Ilhan Omar's latest husband is making most of his money. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar's campaign payments to her husband's firm accounted for nearly 80% of its cash haul during the 2020 elections federal filing show. The E Street Group, not that's not Springsteen's band, it's a D.C. consulting firm owned by Tim Minette, Omar's husband and his partner, Will Haler. It received $3.7 million from political committees this past cycle. $3.7 million. Omar's campaign was by far its biggest moneymaker, doling out 146 checks for $2.9 million, or 78% of the firm's payments. Omar's payments to E Street constituted a large part of her campaign expenditures. Her committee spent $5.2 million, meaning that the $2.9 million that she funneled to her husband's firm was 56% of the campaign's operational costs. Ah, but there's more. Free Beacon again. A political consulting firm owned by Omar's husband, Tim Minette, received more than half a million dollars in pandemic bailout cash, even as it was raking in millions of dollars from Omar's campaign, $134,800 in Paycheck Protection Program loans, and half a million in economic injury Disaster loans. So, Jim, nothing to see here. I would imagine if this was a uh, prominent righty, the press outside of the Free Beacon would be a little more interested in this. How is this anything other than money laundering? For a long time in Washington, it was not surprising to find a politician's spouse uh, or other or relative. Very often it was children uh, either employed by their campaign, employed by their political action committee, uh, employed by their largest donor, Hunter Biden, um, that sort of thing. And it was considered uh, almost, it's almost rude to, to notice it and to call it out and to point it out. Um, the, there are very few rules and laws restricting these sorts of things. 
I don't. The scandal is not that what uh, Ilhan Omar has done with her husband's firm is illegal. The scandal is that it's legal. Uh, you're, you're basically this is a as you mentioned this is a backdoor way of uh, putting money back into the household by saying oh it's not a payment to me it's a payment to my spouse even though there's really you know fun the money is fungible within that household. Um, I think it's long since time because most of us don't have these advantages of having a spouse who's in a member of Congress or a father or uh, mother or some other relative. And it just, you know, I feel like the power of the office really is enough. I don't think you need that extra perk of being able to have a gener generous make work job for your kid. It's bad enough when it's, you know, in the office. Um, it was a really good study where they went down. It was some ungodly amount, and it's been been in both parties. It's it's this bipartisan tradition of having idiot sons who need some sort of make work job uh, to make them respectable and to put money in their pocket and to keep them out of trouble or something like that. Doesn't always work. <clears throat> Again, Hunter Biden. Uh, look, this is the sort of thing that you'd like to think Democrats would come out and say, okay, look, no, you cannot funnel this kind of money. There's, there's a whole bunch of political firms in this world. There are a whole bunch of firms that can do all this kind of work. You can't employ your spouse's firm to do this sort of stuff. I, I would love to see the Federal Elections Commission crack down on this sort of thing. I'd love to see Congress crack down on this sort of thing. I think, however, this is a situation in which the people who would need to change the rules are the exact people who are benefiting from the way the rules are right now. I don't think, unless this turns into this, you know, popular uprising like the the Tea Party or something like that, I don't think this is going to uh, end anytime soon, Greg. Jim, even the legal stuff is nauseating in this town. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our friends over at Gabby. Save yourself some money on insurance. Gabby.com slash martini. Also, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We are very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Also, we uh, invite you to get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Find us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday and join us Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.